Hello and welcome to Rural Powerhouse Week, Day 4. Join the CLA for the first Rural Powerhouse Week, a four-day programme of free digital events including live interviews as well as webinars, panel discussions and free digital content including blogs, videos and podcasts discussing some of the most pressing issues of our time. The Country Land and Business Association are dedicated to protecting and defending the rights of landowners and rural businesses. The Rural Powerhouse is a CLA campaign designed to unleash the potential of the rural economy. It aims to close the rural productivity gap, adding £43 billion per year while transforming the lives of millions of people who live and work in the countryside. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to day four of Rural Powerhouse Week. Today's podcast is all about planning. The CLA has a wealth of expertise and a strong track record in helping members through their complex planning applications and regulations. Today you'll hear from a CLA member on their own experience of the planning system and how they achieved a successful outcome. Both economic development and housing development are so important in rural areas, which suffer from a housing affordability crisis and which are 18% less productive than their urban counterparts. The rural economy has immense potential for economic growth and job creation, and the planning system is at the heart of enabling or obstructing the levelling up with urban areas. With Brexit, the loss of direct support under the basic payment scheme and the impact of coronavirus, diversification has never been more important to the rural economy. I'm Hermione Warmington, a policy advisor at the CLA, and in this podcast, we will hear from one of our members about their diversification. Hugh Broom farms beef cattle, some sheep and asparagus in Surrey. He may sound familiar as he has spent 10 years pursuing an off-the-farm career as a radio journalist working for Capital Radio, LBC and BBC Five Live. And Hugh now podcasts from his farmyard for Farmers Weekly. Three years ago, Hugh got planning permission for battery storage a really fascinating project which will only continue to gain importance and traction as we shift to a low-carbon economy. Hugh, thanks for being on the podcast today. Can you start by telling us a little bit more about yourself? I think you pretty much covered it in your uh, your introduction there. Um, we run the farm here in Surrey, in the middle of Surrey, in the Surrey Hills. Uh, it's a 320-acre uh, mixed farm with about 50, 60 odd acres of that is woodland. We are located right below the uh, scarp slope of the North Downs uh, with the town on one side and the uh, village on the other side. Most of the farm, probably 75 percent of the farm is in the area of outstanding natural beauty the surrey hills one and uh, the rest of the farm is all of the farm also is in the metropolitan green belt so those are considerations we always have to bear in mind whenever we think about doing anything with regards planning absolutely um, and today we're obviously talking about your battery storage project for those listeners who don't know could you just tell us what battery storage is 
Yeah, so it's effectively what it, it's what it says on the tin. It's battery storage. So it's basically taking energy from a source, and that could be a renewable source, or it could be uh, from the from the grid, storing it for a period of time, and then putting it back into the grid. And, and actually, you can put it back into the grid in a multitude of different ways when it's required, when that service is required. Now, we were first approached by various developers. Um, it's the usual random phone calls and approaches that you get from um, developers or land agents acting on behalf of developers. Some uh, better than others because the substation in the town next to us, uh, the town of Dorking, uh, had recently been updated in the last five years and therefore had the ability, and this is the key thing, for obviously, for, for, for anyone that's dealt with renewables, is it had the ability not only to pull lots of power out, but the key thing is because it had been recently refitted, it had the ability that you could push a lot of power back in. And that's the really key thing. There's loads of capacity to take power out, but not much to push it back in, as anyone who might be trying to do a solar development in the southwest now is finding because they've run out of capacity. So we were approached by lots of people. They all thought that we were a perfect candidate because the substation was just a couple hundred meters from the edge of the farm, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, none of them, um, and it was pretty damning actually, to be fair, on uh, many of these people working for land agents. I don't think many of them actually bothered to look at the planning maps, and they could see that the green belt was right up to the edge of the town, and so the prospect of getting development in that green belt envelope was pretty minimal. And they would get very excited, and then you sent them off, go and have a chat with a local planners and they sort of come back with their tail between the legs and think there's no chance they're going to do anything. There was a mixture of projects they wanted to do. Some wanted to do battery storage. Uh, some wanted to do a mixture of battery storage and diesel generators, which is obviously something these standby generators is something um, that's developed over the last decade to try and pin up the power grid. But clearly the thought of having an acre of diesel generators, albeit silenced ones, suddenly erupting in a great plume of smoke on the edge of the town in the green belt was not something that filled the plan with great joy, as you can imagine. The rental-wise, it would have been very attractive, but I don't think any of my neighbours would have liked me for a long time. So it took, I think, after five or six probably approaches from different companies, there was one developer who was really persistent. And I said, look, if you want to do this, you've got to rehash the physics a bit because you're telling me you can't be more than a kilometre, a thousand metres from the substation to the uh, battery storage facility because of cable issues. I said, surely there's a phys it's just a physics issue. Just use a bigger cable or a longer cable. I said, if you can go away and work it out, the one way that we could do this potentially planning-wise, and this was just me with my sort of farmer planning knowledge, and you may wish to check it out with your consultants, is to put it in an existing shed because obviously there's a, the attraction of some permitted rights there to turn a farm shed into an industrial shed. And plus, from a landscape and everything else impact point of view, we can squirrel it away in a shed. So that's what they did. To be fair to them, they went away, they redid the calcs and said, yeah, actually, we can run the cable for 1.7 kilometres. It'll cost us a bit more in aluminium cable and a slightly bigger cable, but it'll be wor it'll work. And then and that, so that then started the ball rolling, really. So we sort of got past that bit of the sort of feasibility as well as obviously agreeing the terms with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Hugh, could you tell us a bit more about how the battery storage works? So effectively, to all, in, all intents and purposes, it is, as it would sound, and most battery storage is a big battery. So effectively, it takes, there's a, uh, in our particular instance, we have an 11,000 volt underground cable comes from the substation to the farmyard into a, another um, sort of switch, network switch that local district network operator runs. And then that 
11,000 volts plugs into the battery storage. And then the battery storage system is lots of lithium. If you open the battery storage room, it looks like a load of IT racks. You've just got loads and loads of racks of lithium-ion batteries, which sit there, all connected in series together. And then they run through a big inverter machine, sort of house, another a container that has the inverters in it. And then that runs back through a transformer. So it effectively 11,000 volts comes in, goes through a transformer, and I think it goes down to some three phase, a normal three phase voltage then it runs into the batteries so it takes power in and then charges the batteries and then it's it's manipulated over the 4g network and so then when they want to push power out they push power out it's as simple as that it will basically switch from zero to six megawatts in under in about a 0.2 of a second so it's a very quick process or it can be manipulated differently and this is the really key thing now with the digital or with the way that the inverters and the power systems work they can create and effectively deliver different services to the grid so what happens is that the day-to-day the grid operator or sorry the, the battery storage operator developer the owner of the kit who is releasing the site of our of us on our yard the way our system works he goes out to the market and says what services do you want and those services come in various different forms just straight pushing power into the grid when it's needed at you know four o'clock on a on a, on a monday or monday evening in in november when power starts to get tight nationally it could just be doing that it could be there's a an, an operation called fast frequency response ffr uh, where they effectively pulse power into the grid inject it very rapidly to rectify the 50 hertz pulse so our grid runs at a frequency of 50 hertz 240 volts or whatever voltage it is it's all running at 50 hertz and where demand increases the first thing that happens is you start to see that frequency drop and and one of the parlances i've learned dealing with power people is the risk is that the job goes off firm that's what they say when it all goes wrong so effectively they're injecting power in to rectify that frequency that's quite a lucrative operation for them if they can get a contract for that and that's manipulated by the computers running the battery storage the thing can actually also it could do both so you could effectively say i'm going to use three megawatts of the battery just to stabilize the grid just like a battery pushing power in and at the same time we'll fire some ffr down the line as well and perform that service and then most of these services at the moment, they're doing for people like National Grid. There are also opportunities for the local district network operators. So in our case, it's UK Power Networks. They may also put up contracts for grid uh, for, for grid services. So that's what battery storage is. We see a lot of it where ours has... Uh, the first question a lot of people ask us is, oh, where's the solar or where does the power come from? Well, in our case, they just buy it in off the grid. So they're probably buying it at really low price. And then when they perform those services, they sell it out at a high price. Some cases you may end up where you have a field of, you know, in a perfect world, you could say, actually, I'm going to put a field of solar here and that solar is going to go into those batteries and then we sell it into the grid uh, when people want it. So there's lots of ways you can do it, but that's ostensibly how it works. Going forward, I think battery storage, whether it's on on this scale is uh, and, and bigger and ours actually now is pretty small. I mean, there's a huge project currently in planning. I th- it may have even gone through planning and it's about to be built. Um, there's a huge 400, I think it's 400 meg plus project north of Edinburgh currently on, on, on the books, which that will effectively be taking all that wind energy from those offshore wind farms and storing that. And with all the renewables and the way renewables work, clearly battery storage is absolutely key because 
because um, obviously solar doesn't run at night. So if you can store it. And the other thing I suppose, and one thing I'm going to try and do here is in our own micro level going forward is to we don't have any solar on our on our roofs at all actually here because we we ironically we were going to when the tariff was really good but unfortunately we had to because we we're in the ANOB we had to go for planning that slowed it up um, but we got there but it was actually the grid connection was the problem ironically back then five years ago and the uh, power, UK power networks couldn't guarantee connection in time for the grid ta- the tariff changing so we had to walk away from that was just a little fifty kilowatt roof system so we we ought to get back into that. And we keep looking at whether we put some solar on our roofs. And I think if our electricity usage increases, uh, we'll definitely do that. And we'll also look at our own private battery storage because I think long term, if you've got the the roof space, if you own the freehold, if you're not planning on going anywhere for you know however many generations, then to become self sufficient in that sense is got to be the way to go. Because I think one thing's for sure, electrical energy pricing, given that the battery storage market at the moment isn't amazing, it is a big long-term investment now for a lot of big banks, pension people, that sort of thing. But the reason I think they're investing in it is because they can see a time in five, 10 years time plus, or it could be even sooner. And particularly if you think about the electrification of the vehicle fleet and all other aspects of our life, there will be a time where electricity will be at a premium. And if you think, you know, you're paying a lot at 12 or 15 or 16p a unit now, um, how does that look if suddenly the market goes to 25p or 30p? It would make a, a few few quid spent on you know, 10, 20 kilowatts of solar and a 10, 10 kilowatt battery store uh, look pretty cheap in the long term. And particularly with electric vehicles uh, coming on stream, if you could plug your vehicle into the, ve- into the solar panels during the day and charge it, it's a fantastic opportunity. So trying to be self-sufficient in energy is our long-term goal here, I think, in terms of what we do. So the new battery storage that's entirely in an existing building so that was a change of use in terms of planning yeah so they went for a complete change of use and they went for a full application actually they didn't do it under the permitted development so effectively it was a uh, it's only a couple of thousand square foot shed 30 by it was a 30 by 75 shed about 10 foot high to the eaves and a pretty old and tired one it was too bless it and effectively what we've actually ended up is 30 by 80 foot in old money it's slightly longer effectively we demolished the old one and put a new one there and then they built the battery storage so it's effectively a shed uh, it looks like a farm shed from the outside two sides are yorkshire boarded with concrete panels up to about two meters and then yorkshire boarding up to the eaves and then the other two sides one gable end and one long side is open and you can see the uh it just looks like a load of green painted containers inside and then we put like iae cattle market rail around those open sides so if a you know finished steer bounced off it wouldn't damage the the battery storage equipment and that was one of the sort of provisos we wanted to be able to carry on doing what we're doing and then the other thing it has is it has some ventilation at one end there's some condensers so we just need to bear that in mind when we're flying around the farmyard with a forklift which can run the aircon and then at the other end, there's a big vent um, which blows the warm air out from cooling the cooling system, which actually I had the telehandler parked under that this morning, first frost of the season, and it beautifully kept it frost-free. So there's a, another bonus there. And that's pretty much it. And then when it runs, it hums. I mean, it has to be, again, there was a noise specification in the planning. When it runs, it runs under 40 dB, I think it is, but it doesn't. I mean, it just buzzes. You can hear it's buzzing when it's working. And then obviously it, it's pretty quiet 
park the rest of the time. And then in theory, someone turns up in a van once a month to uh, just to check it, service it. And, and, and that's pretty much it. And in terms of the local planning authority, were they quite supportive about this application or because of the things you've mentioned, the Greenbelt, A and B, were they were they slightly tricky? No, I have to look. I've always got on very well with our local planning authority, which is Mole Valley District Council. You know, it fit, it fitted within the policy points. We have always, whenever we've done a planning application, we have always, and I know it's something that is the vein of many a CLA member in terms of the numbers of reports you have to do. And I, again, I'm not a qualified planning professional, but when working with the qualified planning professionals that were working on behalf of the developer, there was a couple of things I said, look, you should put that report in and you should put this report in. Because effectively, my view is that all the planner wants to do is check that whatever you're proposing to them fits within the guidelines of the policy that is in place at the time. It is to all effects and purposes. I know a lot of there's a lot of emotion gets involved and a lot of pushing and pulling. It is a tick box exercise. And if those reports aren't there, then the chances are the application won't go through. The, the local authority were, you know, we presented it as a farm diversification. So therefore, it came under the realms of, you know, exceptional circumstances within the green belt. Uh, farm diversification being one of those based on the fact that they like the fact that we farm a you know a couple hundred acre farm and have nice green fields and we continue to farm it as a, as a farm as opposed to I suppose if we wanted to not that one would ever <laughs> threaten them to do it but I mean there's absolutely nothing to stop us turning it all into one acre paddocks and filling the countryside with horse tape and it would look pretty horrendous so they to be fair to them they're 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 objective they're 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 sensible they see that we're farming the land and that this fits nicely in terms of diversifying our farming revenue. I think there is an acceptance now with most planning authorities, and clearly it was very different 20 or 30 years ago. There is an acceptance now, and we see it all over rural UK, that diversification is key to any uh, sustainable farm business. And I mean sustainable, well, on an environmental, but also on a financial uh, level uh, in terms of that succeeding and going forward. So no, they were actually fine about it. All the reports, there's lots of reports being done. Probably the biggest report they had to do was the noise report. So we had to do noise modelling, and that was probably a thousand, twelve hundred quid, something like that. Basically, get there, do some sampling, and check what the normal noise profile looks like, and then the guys go away and model what bringing X equipment into that area will do to that noise noise model, and, and therefore what acoustic baffling you might need on that equipment. It's pretty straightforward stuff, but it is another report in terms of how it looks. It, I should say from the hill, and the big thing for us is because the North Downs is above it. Obviously, they're very protective over the view from the hill. From the hill, it just looks like another farm barn rooftop. I think they would have. We never went down the route of trying. I mean, some people would say, well, you should have just put it on the back of the town, gone for exceptional circumstances within the green belt envelope and, you know, played that card. But you probably weren't, they were not happy with that idea. They didn't like the idea. They would have probably given us planning for a farm shed. Did We did have planning at that end of the farm. Uh, for a small hay barn, but which we never built several years ago, so that they would have done that. But whether they would have done this is 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 a, is a different question. So it worked for us. The other thing, of course, it did on the the method and the madness of putting it in the farmyard is we've now got a nice eleven thousand volt underground supply into the farmyard. So in terms of what we do going forward, we've got a good energy connection, and it's a salt, literally a spur. It comes from the substation straight to the yard. So we're 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 hopefully quite self sufficient there. Uh, in terms of energy connection for whatever we choose to do within that farmyard curtilage going forward in the future. Yeah, fantastic. So great that the local planning authority was supportive. What about the local community? Did they get involved? Did anyone 
tell you their views. We had no. I think I don't think we had any reaction at all from any of no one. Our neighbours asked about it. They were obviously. I actually lived just across from the site, so clearly I was mindful if there was going. I wouldn't want something that was going to be rattling away in the middle of the night. And we have some neighbours, and they were obviously they were worried about that. But yeah, no, there was no objection to it. It all sort of went along fairly quietly no major dramas so no we're really fortunate from that point of view everything was out there in the open and uh yeah everyone's sort of you know people are still surprised when you tell them that there's a six megawatt battery store in the farmyard they say oh really where's that it's like it's just up there buzzing away so yes it could have all got very dramatic and and it is i think from my experience is being open and completely open about everything you want to do is the best way forward not only with the planners but also with the local community because as soon as you try to hide anything or you try to sort of make out something because you're a bit nervous they might not have the idea of all these batteries buzzing away or whatever then people suddenly they they perceive that as some sort of you know cover-up and then the cold conspiracy um, nonsense starts and before you know it, you've got a full-blown over-egged pudding on your hands and you're, you're battling um, opposition from all fronts ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Rural Powerhouse is a CLA campaign focused on unleashing the potential of the rural economy. Its aims are a fully connected countryside, a planning system designed for rural communities, profitable and sustainable farming, investment in skills and innovation, and a simpler tax regime. Tell us a bit more about how it works with the company that obviously came in and if they did the planning application, they funded the surveys, for example, and then sort of the contractual agreement between the pair of you. Yeah, so it, effectively for us, it is a commercial lease. So it's a, you know, take that red line footprint, boom commercial lease and they pay a rent so if uh, from our perspective as uh, from a, a landowner perspective it's a, a landlord perspective it's you know it's fairly low risk model they paid for all the planning and did did all the yeah they covered everything really and then they just pay their rent we obviously had to put up with the construction bit but that's par for the course we had a construction rent period where they paid obviously paid a bit more than the normal rent one thing I would to anyone entering into this make sure that you don't have a although we, we, we negotiated it absolutely fine 
fine, but it wasn't built for in the in the lease or the initial part of the lease was uh, so that everyone was naively under the impression that the construction would go beautifully and seamlessly for six months and then everything would be done and everyone would go off and live happily ever after. As is always the case with a lot of these projects, that did not happen. The construction dragged on probably several, nearly a year over what it should have been. And then there was a testing phase where people were still coming back and parking cars and we had people camped in the yard and little caravan thing. So I probably would make sure that there was a clause in there which made sure if the construction went over, you know, there's a lump for the construction for six months. Once you got past that six months, then there should be X amount allowed for per month and pro rata thereafter. We negotiate. I say we negotiated it no problem when that period came to the end because to all intents and purposes, during the construction period, the agreement allows for the company to come and go from the farmyard as they please and do whatever. And as soon as that's finished, of course, all you're then talking about is access to the red lines of the bot of the footprint in the middle of the farmyard. So if you wanted to be absolutely you know, letter of the law, you could say, no, you've got one parking space at the end there and everything you've got to bring in is in full transit, which would obviously kill their construction uh, budget. So that's that's probably one area where you just need to be mindful, particularly with sort of newish stuff like this, where it took them a while to find their feet and to get it all running beautifully. And there was a lot of testing involved as well because it was a newish system that they were using. So yes, for us now, it's basically a commercial rent and it just ticks over. It's, you know, it's a good one, I suppose, personally, from my perspective, because we don't have lots of other people coming in and out. It's not like, you know, we've got someone servicing cars in the yard or running a brewery or whatever, where you've got constant comings and goings. It's literally one van appears once a month to do a service and that's it. There will be periods, I'm sure, where they'll want to be there for a couple of weeks and, and have a big deep service or something like that. Um, we also indemnified within the lease agreement, we agreed an indemnity uh, which basically covers us should some should the worst happen to the developer and we effectively get left with a six megawatt battery storage and everyone's disappeared and gone off to the moon then we effectively have some money and in, built into that uh, which would cover uh, it's a bit like a deposit really uh, which covers any disposal cost although at the moment to be fair if that was to happen the, the market for lithium batteries is quite good so i don't think we'd have a problem sort of dismantling it and selling the various bits off um, you've always got to think of that and also covering thinking about an environmental impact as well but given that the whole thing is funded so the developer it's 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 hugely funded by a bank the lender would be in there first so the lease effectively says that if the uh, developer goes wrong on their payments and they fall out of uh, contract they breach the contract the next stage is it then goes to the bank and then the lender effectively takes over the lease and becomes the tenant should that all go horribly wrong then you're at the nuclear option and you suddenly uh, you've got someone that's effectively fly tip to battery storage system in your farmyard, but there's some allowance for managing that in that lease. So you just need to think about those things. Um, we used a, a solicitor that had dealt with lots of energy uh, contracts before and uh, mainly on the solar front um, they were just starting to do bits of battery storage and that's the other thing go don't you know most people do now anyway but you need to go and find people that do this all the time because one they'll charge you less in the long term their hourly rate may be higher but if they do it every day they'll do it quicker than if you go to your high street solicitor who normally does divorces and deaths then they might take 10 times longer uh, but i think most people get that uh, get that nowadays anyway mm. And how long is the lease? And was there a minimum lease length that the tenant was prepared to take in order for their investment? Yeah, so we, um, the lease, I think it's, 20, it's 25 years, but they have quite a short notice period. So if it all goes horribly wrong for them, we effectively, I think they can give six months notice. We negotiated a good rent based on the fact that if they wanted to jump out, they could. And so long as they clear the site, 
they effectively disappear and leave us with an empty shed, which to be fair, it's got you know industrial planning so we could fill it with caravans or pallets the next day you know so we were quite flexible on that and yeah so far it seems to be working absolutely fine yeah and the rent you get how does that compare to say the commercial rent you get from another enterprise like you said for for storage or workshop or something like that is it is it better is that what drew you to to do a scheme like this yeah, it's probably marginally better, not massively. And actually, if we, we if we turned it into lots of little micro offices, then we'd probably get more. But the, the opportunity was there. They were willing to take all the risk in terms of the development because obviously we could have gone and got planning. We were thinking, I mean, we were at the stages of thinking, what do we do with this shed? And then we were very fortuitous. This came along and boom, there we were. So we think we could have gone down the route of, you know, borrowing a couple hundred thousand quid ourselves and turning it into a suite of workshops or offices or whatever. We would have needed to have done that and shouldered all that risk. Um, but obviously they came along and effectively did that for us. The rent, yeah, the rent's good. The other thing to think about is that the, the comings and goings, like I say, there's no one there. And the, you know, the service van turns up once a, once a month and that's it. The whole thing is driven remotely. It's driven, actually driven over the 4G network. So that's how they operate it. So there's no there's no people coming and going. So it's the, it's the perfect model tenant. <laughs> no, it sounds it sounds great. You've said how important diversification is, absolutely. Um, and you've said you've now got this fantastic electrical supply to your farmyard. Have you done any other diversifications? And do you have any in the pipeline that you can tell us about? Or what are you thinking you, you might be considering? At the moment, we, we're sort of just tootling along as we are, uh, trying to think what we do. We do some events on the farm from time to time. Obviously, this year's not been a great great year for events. We've hosted various events uh, during the summer, you know, kids running events in the past. We did a whole period of that. We have community events here. What else do we have? We For free, we host the RAF and their Chinooke helicopters. They come and practice on the farm as and when they please and likewise with the local air ambulance as well so they'll always know where to come god forbid there's a problem but they uh, they they do that but that doesn't raise us any money that's just for for the good of the nation but in terms of other diversifications i think at the moment we're just concentrating on on what we're doing with our farming enterprise we optimize the woodland as well we we sort of manage that actively in terms of taking out particularly at the moment we're in the process of taking out the ash there's a good market for that for firewood we do a lot of agri-environment and have done since 2002 on the farm we've had countryside stewardship we're in an hls scheme and we're in a mid-tier scheme we've made the best advantage possible or taken the best out of the mid-tier so we did a uh, we're in a catchment sensitive farming area so we were able to get a grant for some concreting which now looks beautiful all around the battery storage barn and the rest of the farmyard you know we're just trying to optimize uh, everything we can in terms of what we do and at the moment we're just concentrating on the sort of beef uh, the beef enterprise we have on the farm the asparagus is a very local thing it just tootles along every year there's only a few acres of it we sell it all very locally pretty much directly goes straight to the farm shops that sell it we roll at a nice flat price flat rate on that so it's a it's a worthwhile little operation there so we've got no great plans at the moment to go and diversify we're always looking for things but i think one thing i have learned is you know you need to really you need to really concentrate on what is, you know, we do well doing the cattle rearing, we do at the moment, we do a lot of that under contract. And then equally, you sort of think, well, I could diversify and I could have a load of kids running events here four times a year, which we had before. But actually the impact on that, on the cattle enterprise now, particularly during the summer, would just be a car crash. And when you look at the, the, the yield from that, versus what you're doing day to day you always have to obviously bear that in mind so you're always thinking the other thing we have actually and that's a nice little one we have a local motorcycle 
off-road motorcycle company. They do this thing where they teach people to drive off off-road, um, and then they take them around um, some of the green lanes here, and and they go out around the countryside, um, all in a very orderly way. But they use our field to bring these guys and girls, and they sort of tootle around in a circle for a few hours or an hour, and then they go off out and about when these people haven't driven this type of bike before. So that's a nice one, and they pay. They don't pay a massive amount, but it just they just use a corner of a field every so often. That sort of thing works really well because you can move them around. Whereas if we suddenly went down the route of we've all, we have considered. I mean, the one thing I would definitely consider, and when everything settles a bit, and um, with all that's going on at the moment, and I keep a slight look at a sly eye, thinking about sort of camping opportunities. We're you know we're only twenty five miles from central London. There's a very successful campsite not very far from us. Works well during the summer. Could we do a wild camping thing where people could come in camper vans or tents and they just hire the pitch? And if I could get that to work on a digital platform where I don't have to do anything other than you know physically check there's 12 people in the field at night and just drive past and it does all the work the end yes but i wouldn't clearly i'm not going to go down the route of putting a garden shed at the end of the lane and standing there all day just to take 50 quid in camping fees because commercially that would be a car crash and i don't we can't go mad and start building loads of stuff because of where we are so we have to be realistic but i think again you know there's a demand for that sort of accommodation in this part of the world people just wanting to get out the city for a a last minute.com you know four o'clock on a friday afternoon in june they go we're going camping boom they're in the middle of a field at 5 30 that there's definitely a market there and it's something we look at and at some point i will work out how to take money off the mountain bikers which we have many that cycle through the farm and uh, whether we open a coffee shop i don't know but of course i've thought about that we do a coffee stop but we have a cycleway goes through the farm which the council built about seven or eight years ago we have a lot of public access here and i'm thinking yeah we could do a coffee concession or i could rent that out to someone to put a little shepherd's hut or whatever there but of course the problem we've then got is we'd have we have random cars turn up as it is to walk them and dogs um suddenly we've got the world's best coffee concession on the corner of the field you know half the town would drive out to have a cup of coffee because they wouldn't all religiously walk or come on their bike so then you think oh no i've now got 50 cars in the way and i want to get contractors in which sometimes happens so it's it's constantly but look, we're constantly looking at the whole thing and my view is you look at it in the round in terms of how do you best optimize that asset whether that's you know promoting land potentially for development in the future right through to doing battery storage or running events on the farm so it's looking everything in the round and and you know taking every every advantage that you can an opportunity that you can Hugh that is all we have time for today but thank you so much for coming on to our podcast it's been really interesting to talk to you about your battery storage project but also your thought process around future diversifications on your farm I know a lot of our members are grappling with what to do in the future as a result of the removal of direct support and Brexit as you've highlighted, it's really important to consider each opportunity in the round and really drill down as to how an additional enterprise may impact your existing enterprise and also understand the priorities and strengths of the existing business. So coming back around to planning, the focus of today's podcast, it was great to hear a pretty seamless experience with your local planning authority and great to hear the ease in which you navigated the potential issues of being in an AOMB and a green belt, the reuse of an old building and increasing the length of the cable really goes to show that if you don't ask, you don't get. Given the limited capacity of the grid, it is likely that if there are opportunities on land for schemes such as Hughes, companies are likely to be knocking at the door However, if we have piqued your interest, 
do get in touch with a local or a specialist firm if you want to explore battery storage or renewable technologies further. A lot of companies will be able to undertake an assessment of the grid capacity in your area and they may also know of future opportunities. So finally, thank you for listening today. We hope that you found it interesting and useful. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, we have three other podcasts from the previous three days of the Rural Powerhouse Week. And if you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, www.cla.org.uk. Thank you. And I hope you can join us again soon. You've been listening to the CLA Rural Powerhouse Week podcast. The CLA's new weekly podcast, Rural Business Uncovered, will be released every Friday. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search CLA on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.